0: come alive with pastor mark martinez
1: the bullets don't stop in a real war and they definitely don't stop in a spiritual war see life happens to all of us but for leaders well we lose our rights because we're to love others and part of that is we don't seek our own and even if it's feelings even if it's feelings we don't need to defend or preserve what we perceive to be our rights because right? Jesus tells us pick up your cross daily deny yourself our heart says oh no i want to cry i want to weep i want to i want to pout i want to feel sorry for myself
0: Emotions are contagious. In today's message from Pastor Mark, he teaches the importance of guarding your emotions. Emotions have the ability to rub off on others. Guarding your emotions, especially for leaders, is very important. When you're in a role of leadership, you can't storm around wanting people to feel sorry for you. You You're to lead others by example in showing them what it looks like to control their emotions. People look to leadership to help them know what is and is not acceptable. As a leader, you can't defend your rights to lash out. You're called to pick up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow the Lord. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in 2 Samuel chapter 19 with
1: today's edition of Come Alive. Today we're going to see a death mourned in 2 Samuel chapter 19, if you'll turn there. 2 Samuel chapter 19 is where we're at. While you're turning there, I'll read some verses to you, and we'll continue on. It says, And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom, so the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people, for the people heard it said that day that the king is grieved for his son. And the people stole back into the city that day as the people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Let's stop there. Hey, we got to ask ourselves, well... Why is David weeping? Why is he weeping over Absalom? Why is he so bummed out? And the simple answer would be he's he's sad. His son just died. Oh, wouldn't you be sad if your son died? And I'm sure I would be. But he's wailing. And if you've been with us for a month or three, you'll understand and you'll remember that David has lost a son before. If you would turn with me into 2 Samuel chapter 12, we'll turn there and we'll see what i'm talking about here second samuel chapter 12 just keep your thumb there in second samuel 19 but turn to second samuel chapter 12 we'll pick up in verse 19 and it says when david saw that his servants were whispering david perceived that the child was dead now let me back up a minute this story is when he and bathsheba kind of blown it and Bathsheba's pregnant and she has a baby and so now the baby's ill not doing so well and it says, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshipped. And then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted, you wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and you ate food. And he said, well, while the child was alive, I fasted and I wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her again. So here, David, in verse 23, if you want to underline anything, you can underline the second half where it says, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? Verse 23, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David here states something very, very interesting, so to speak, and it's something we all know. If you underline that, David declares his hope in heaven and in a real resurrection. He he declares his hope in heaven and in a real resurrection. He's saying that he understands that he can't bring this baby back, and he can't do anything to bring the baby back, but he will one day see his son again. Where? In heaven. He he will see his son again in heaven. And so he, he says to him, you know, basically to these guys, I have something to look forward to, to seeing my son. Yet up in chapter 19, if you turn back there, Absalom dies, Absalom dies, and he's wailing and he's weeping and he's well he's basically washing his face with tears instead of with water. See this son Absalom, he's older and he had a responsibility. He was a relative that had a responsibility. Uh, the baby that we read about in chapter 12, well, the baby was not at an age of accountability and that's why there's such a contrast here that we see between the baby And his son, Absalom. And so what happened here, the baby wasn't at an age of accountability. He was innocent. With Absalom, there's no longer that infant innocence. But now Absalom, at an age of responsibility and accountability, he dies as a real rebel. He dies in rebellion. And so David knows that his son will not see heaven. And you got to think, he's pretty bummed out about that. I mean, what a bummer. Hey, we just because you have a grandmother that is whatever denomination or a Christian doesn't guarantee you to go to heaven. Uh, Before I was a Christian, I remember one time somebody witnessing to me and he asked me a question. He says, hey, are you a Christian? And my response was, I'm Catholic. Didn't answer his question. I just said, I'm Catholic. And you can ask a lot of people that and they'll say, well, I'm Catholic. I'm not asking what denomination. I'm just asking if you're a Christian. So he said, well, let me break it down for you. Are you born again? That threw me off. I didn't know if I was born again. I said, well, you know, I don't go to church. My grandmother goes to church all the time, and so does my great-aunts. And he said, well, what about you? I said, no. He said, well, let me ask you another question. I was like, dude, what is it with this guy? He goes, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And I had to say no. And I think that was the first time ever in my life that I probably told the truth about that subject because, I mean, it's, a, it's tough to admit that you don't. And so he began to ask certain questions. And those questions are important for us to ask our friends, our neighbors. Yesterday we baptized people. I asked a little girl, said, hey, so she goes, I want to admit, Pastor Mark, can I be baptized? I said, hey, yeah, tell me what it means to be baptized. And she explained the whole baptism thing. She'd been going to vacation Bible school all week, learning the ABCs, acknowledge, believe, and confess. And either she blanked out or she just really told the truth. That, and she said, hey, uh, I said, so do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And she kind of looked at me and said, are you born again? She looked at me again and said, is Jesus in your heart? And she was like, no, just real honest. No, I'm not. He's not. I said, are you sure? Yeah, I don't think he is so what do you want to be sure yeah so well let's go talk to your dad we'll do a prayer and then we'll get you dunked you know and it it was a big concern for her she wanted it and i said okay let's pray you ready and she prays and said yeah i said okay now you can get baptized when she went out there i was talking to her i said are you sure this is for real she's like i'm sure i said okay i'm gonna hold you under for a good 10 minutes because you've been i've heard you've been bad no pastor mark i can't hold my breath that long and other little kids i told all of them 10 minutes One was really concerned that he really did have to try. He goes, I'll try my best. (laughs) You know, it's like, all right, dude, if we see bubbles, we'll pull you up. And I'm not talking about the clown bubbles. But so anyway, it was all fun and games that that. Verse 5, let's move on. It says, Then Joab came into the house to the king, and he said, Today you've disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and your daughters, the lives of your wives, and the lives of your concubines, in that you... Love your enemies, and you hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you very well. Now therefore, arise, go out, speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. What's Joab saying? I mean, here's his general, comes in, and so let's line this up. We got a dead son. David's crying. He's wailing. He's weeping. And we can understand, rightfully so, the guy probably isn't going to heaven. So he's wailing. He's weeping. But here comes Joab, and he's basically saying, David, bro, pull it together. I mean, what are you doing? And so in Ecclesiastes, it tells us, well, there's a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to Break down a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn. There's a, a time for us to mourn, and it's important. But you can say, "Well, yeah, but but he's emotional, Mark. Sure he is. Sure he is. Emotions can't be trusted, though. You and I cannot trust emotions. I've been upset or mad about something that personally I don't have a right to be upset or mad about." For instance, somebody cut me off on the freeway. I don't have a right to be angry about that. That's the guy's freeway. I, it's his as well as mine. Now he, he might have blown it. He may not have seen me. And it's just like yesterday when we were driving out to the beach. And well, I explained the wreck in the first service. Real quick, I'll give you the rundown. There were, we were driving, and we had somebody following us, about three cars behind us. And there was an accident coming over a hill. We were doing 70, which is pretty quick. I mean, 70 miles per hour, you travel a pretty good distance in one second. And so we were coming over this hill, and the person that was following us, I got over, I had to slam my truck into third gear and then move over just to avoid an accident. I make it over pulling that trailer, and then I see the other cars move over. One car slams into the wall a little bit. It sparks, and he makes it. Another car makes it. And then our friend, our next-door neighbor who attends church here, she didn't make it. She slammed into the back of the two cars that were there on the on the side of the road. And I watched the whole thing happen in the mirrors. I was like, "Oh no, oh no, oh no. This is not good." And we had to turn around and go pick her up. She wasn't mad. Nobody was out there yelling and screaming, "How could you do this? How could you not see two parked cars on the freeway?" And well, there's a big truck in front of her. She couldn't. When that truck moved, it was like surprise, and so she crashed. And so emotions can't be trusted. I mean, she was shaken up. My wife was shaken up. My wife was shaken up so bad all day long. I mean, she got home and she just started weeping for our neighbor, our friend. I was like, what is wrong with you? Pull yourself together, woman. And she was like, I'm just all freaked out. It was such a busy day and we got another busy day tomorrow and another busy day today after that. I was like, man, is there something I can do to help with the busy and, you know, I mean, once we talked it out and she settled down, I mean, it was it was an emotional day. You know, kids getting stung by jellyfish. Luckily, none got stung on the face when we were dunking them. That would have been bad. But it, it was a crazy day. And there are those trials in there. You know, the bullets don't ever stop flying. But emotions, emotions can't be trusted. When we get mad, we get upset about certain things and, well... Just because I can't trust my emotions, I, I, I need to understand that because they sometimes lead me to do crazy things. It's not good counsel when someone says, trust your heart. Oh, just trust your heart, bro. Really? Well, the Bible says what in Jeremiah seventeen nine It tells us the heart's deceitful, desperately wicked. The world says this, trust your heart. The Bible says don't trust your heart. Is there a balance? Nope. Stick with the Bible's version. It's desperately wicked. Again, the Bible tells us not to trust our heart, and those emotions sometimes are what we shouldn't trust. So if we're to take note, the first thing would be, number one, just write this down, highlight it, circle it, whatever. Don't trust emotions. The second one is that we're looking at is leaders. If you're a leader, and we all should be as Christians, but leaders lose the privilege to pout. Some of you might be like, what? I can't pout. Yeah, you can't stick your lip out because you could trip over it and hurt yourself, but we're not to pout if we're leaders. And Keep your thumb here and turn over to Leviticus, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Leviticus chapter 10. Here we go. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Okay, so here, just to, to let you know what happens here, Nadab and Abihu, they're, they're pastor's kids or priest's kids. And the whole temple thing, well, it's just so familiar to them. They're, they've been raised in it. They've seen their dad doing their thing and Moses, Uncle Moses, and they've, they've been all around this. They're very familiar with the whole thing, all the traditions and everything. So because they saw this day in and day out, they gave no respect to the temple services. Uh, They really it did, oh yeah, I see it every day, it's cool, we know how to do it, we got it. And they offer, well, they offered some bad fire to the Lord. It was contemptible things to the Lord. It's as if he's saying, you've offered me fire uh, that's not good, and so you know what, bro, I'm going to go ahead and offer you this fire. And he burns them up. The fire of the Lord consumes them. These two dudes are just piles of ashes now in the temple floor. And these, well, these two guys are Aaron's sons. They're Aaron's sons. And what does the word say? Look at verse 3. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. He didn't cry. He didn't pout. He didn't get mad. He didn't throw up his hand and and shake his fist at God and say, how could you do this? He didn't have the right to pout. Look at verse 4. And then Aaron called Mishael and some other guys, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and they carried them out by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes lest you die And wrath come upon all the people, but let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, be well the burning which the Lord has kindled. What's God saying here? What's he telling him? Well, God's telling Aaron. He's like, hey, Aaron, I just judged your sons, both of them, and don't you start to cry. Don't you start to weep and cry because these guys needed judgment. Aaron, you're a leader, and you lose your privilege to pout. Some of you guys are like, oh, man, this is like, man, your God and my God are a little different, Pastor Mark. Well, they're not. Why does God tell him that? I mean, think about what Aaron thinks. Well, hey, God, why? I just lost my sons. It was a declaration of God when he did this. And if God did it, and if we can all agree that God is wise, if God is good, he's all loving and compassionate, then this had to be. Loving and compassionate, but yet we don't see that. We don't see that as a loving, compassionate, and wise act. Why? Because all of Israel was being led astray by these two guys. So there's something loving and compassionate. He saved all of Israel because he didn't want these two guys leading them astray. Plus, these two guys, they knew better. They knew better. You ever watch those stunt shows like the Nitro Circus? You watch those crazy guys and they get like they'll have a guy on a motorboat and the motorboat's in the lake. And these are like some I I know like two of the guys on that show, but they're some of my favorite things to watch. And I, I, I pray that my son doesn't get any ideas, but I, I let him watch with me. So they get get a guy on a motorboat and they're out in the middle of a lake and they build this ramp out of like metal or fiberglass. And it's as long it's not too long. It's a ramp and it comes up and it throws these people up and they do it. And they dare each other to do it different way. So one guy says, okay, cool, I'll just lay down. And this guy's in a boat, and he's got another engine, and they turn this engine on. It's a motorcycle engine. He's sitting there, and he's revving, and he goes, you ready? And he pops the clutch. He's like, whew, and the rope. And the guy's hanging onto the rope, and it yanks him across his ramp and launches him into the water. And some people broken bones, doing different things like that. But most of the time, these guys with their shirts off being dragged across that dry fiberglass, get road rash. And they're giggling and they're laughing. And, but none of them ever say, man, why did that happen? Man, why did you do that? Because you know what? They counted the cost just like these two dudes knew. These two guys knew that, hey, we're not supposed to do that. And if we do do that, well, we've got to count the cost. There's going to be, there's going to be a payment required. And it was their life. They did the wrong thing. So Aaron, he's bummed out. Yeah, it's his two little boys that are all grown up. He's bummed out. He's allowed to be bummed out, but he can't cry publicly. He can't pout in public because of all of Israel was being led astray by these two guys. It's sad. Yes, a man lost his two sons, even though they were rotten examples. It's still very sad, but God didn't want any public pouting. He could grieve privately, and that was okay, but not publicly. Because the minute you begin to grieve for these two guys publicly, then it makes it seem like, Well, it's okay to be sad because it's okay to let these guys blow it. And do you see in our country today how we've allowed a lot of things? Well, it's okay. It's okay. And now all of a sudden these guys return from war that are military guys and they're trying to be buried in some cemetery and there's people out there protesting. said, don't you pout. We've mixed it up. We flipped the coin. We, We pout over the loss of other weird things that are not godly examples yet. Well, when these guys go out and defend us and fight for our freedoms... We got another group of people, those who well, were allowed to pout publicly for the wrong things, telling us now that we can't do it for the right things. There's a problem. See, I told the leadership this morning the same thing. We can't pout publicly. That means if you and your wife argue on the way here and you're coming and you're standing around, don't you have a sour face? Because what person wants to come and say, hey, uh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't pray with you. Maybe I should be praying for you. You need to be the leader. Not scaring them away, not being angry, upset, throwing fits. It's, it's not about us. So, see, we're in the ministry, and if we're called to be serious soldiers like the military, there's not a lot of time for emotion on the battlefield. When you're running and there's a war going on and your buddy next to you gets shot, you can't go, okay, everybody, time out. He's dead, and I just, I just need a moment to cry. It doesn't happen like that. The enemy doesn't care. Same thing spiritually. The bullets will always fly. you got to suck it up. Hey, afterwards, after the war is over, uh, then we'll mourn the loss. But right now, we got stuff to do. And so we're in the ministry. It's serious stuff. So finish the battle and then mourn. The bullets don't stop in a real war, and they definitely don't stop in a spiritual war. See, life happens to all of us. But for leaders, well, we lose our rights because we're to love others. And part of that is we don't seek our own. And even if it's feelings, even if it's feelings, we don't need to defend or preserve what we perceive to be our rights. Because, right, Jesus tells us, pick up your cross daily, deny yourself. Our heart says, oh, no, I want to cry, I want to weep, I want to I pout. I want to feel sorry for myself. My heart tells me that all the time. I don't know if your hearts tell you that, but mine does sometimes. I'll be doing stuff in the morning all by myself here, and I'll be like, man, It'd be great if somebody just showed up. Thanks, Lord. Thanks. He's all like, "Hey, bro, what are you doing?" Like I'm by myself, I'm allowed to pout. But when everybody comes in, it's like, okay, it's a different deal. I got to right myself. I got to balance myself. I got to make sure my feet are underneath me. Like, all right, Lord, correct my thoughts. Give me wisdom. If I go to Him and and I keep that relationship vertical, then I won't have a problem on the horizontal. See, emotions have a contagious condition and affects the position of all. If I got up here and told you how sorry I felt for myself and all this stuff, you guys would be like, man, why do we want to talk to him? Some of you might be like, oh, poor you, bro, you know, and it's not about me. Uh, in that meeting room over there every Sunday morning, we say the same thing. It's all about everybody that comes in here. We need to be about you. We need to be about your hurts. And then you don't need to be about your hurts. You need to be about the hurts of the guy next to you or the girl next to you. Because if it's all about you, you start to suck the life out of us.
0: King David's story didn't end when he ascended the throne. He had finally achieved the promise God gave him, but his time on earth was far from concluded. He had to raise his family, lead a nation, conquer the enemy and continue to rely on his Creator to sustain him. David didn't always do this with the grace and perfection we'd assume from a man after God's own heart. In fact, he frequently failed, giving in to temporary pleasures, neglecting what God had for him to do. Every time, though, David came back to his Creator. He repented of his sins and renewed his commitment to God. God's forgiveness was real and available for David, and it is for you today, too. Have you been afraid to come to God because of your life choices? He wants to hear from you. He sees your heart and already knows of your sins and is waiting to offer you forgiveness if you ask. Tracy's here to tell you more about this. Are you ready to meet Jesus and have your sins forgiven? We would be honored to be the ones to tell you about
1: God's Son, who came to earth to pay the price for you and every person on earth. That price is death. But because Jesus died, you have the chance to live. Give us a call so we can tell you more. Our number is 281-391-5503.
0: Thanks, Tracy. We are so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll tune in again to Come Alive.